it's elevating the discussion and bringing it up to what we're really trying to do, which is with this audience, not just about tech. You know, and I'm a learning tech guy. I mean, that's my professional background. But I think we're, we're sorely missing the target if we're just talking about tech. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 294 of the Leading Learning Podcast, which centers a conversation with Tamer Ali. Tamer is founder of Authentic Learning Labs. Authentic aims to address the challenges of learning and development programs and elevate the status of learning within organizations by providing learning technologies and a global team to support initiatives. Authentic is not Tamer's first learn tech company, and so he and Jeff talk about entrepreneurship the evolution of the learn tech market, and typical challenges for learning businesses. They also get into the importance of culture and strategy in making learn tech work well for an organization, the Green Bay Packers, REI, and Reddit. Jeff spoke with Tamer in February 2022. So what does an average engagement look like for you to the, to the extent that there is something that's, you know, average or, or typical, how would you describe when you're, when you're going into work with an organization, what are you doing? What technologies are you putting in place? In what ways are you helping them to, to elevate learning as, as you put it? Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I'm not sure if there's a one size fits all scenario, but typically the scenario does involve a pain point of delivery experience or data or any of those in combination where, a program needs to be launched. And there is some limitation or struggle or friction that's preventing that organization from launching the program efficiently or in time. So we get involved. And sometimes we bring our own tools. Sometimes we use their tools. And we have to make sure everything works well. And so that's a general answer. But in general, that's what's happening is, you know, there's a program. It's a certificate program. It's global in nature. And it needs to be integrated and uh, launched from an existing legacy LMS or a new LMS. We have to migrate users. We have to put a course together. And there's a variety of stakeholders that we need to appease and work with. That's usually our type of scenario. And it's typically a project that takes, you know, a month to four months and uh, we typically want to work like that, like a SWAT team. I think that's the general approach and scenario, but there are some in between. Someone we know in the past that have seen things we've done, they want to take one piece of our software and use it for a specific use case, syndicate content, or wrap it around a course that's not compliant, or track data. Those are the two big pieces of the type of work we typically do. I want to come back in a minute to the types of software that you're using in that, but maybe even to, to step back before we do that, because uh, you've been at this a long time. I've been at this a long time, and we've, you know, we we came across each other many years ago. You know, when I first met you, you had founded a company called Digital Ignite. I, if I remember correctly, you'd been at a company called V Campus before that, so that that was quite a while ago. But at this point, you're someone who's built multiple companies. And I, you know, I, I know you're a learner. So I want to sort of ask about what you've learned from that. But but first of all, what, I mean, what's driven you to do that? Why have you felt this need to, to, to start companies and kind of grow these, uh, uh, these ventures? It's a question we typically ask when those days when you have hard times, right? But uh, why are you doing this? The whys are quickly answered when you see the impact. And maybe sometimes that impact doesn't happen every day. 
But when you see something, when it really works, when you see that a technology-enabled education initiative happens and people are learning. I remember one of the, the main reasons why I stayed in the space is in, in my the initial company that I did not found, but I was part of uh, Virtual Campus. We were trying to meet accessibility requirements for the government, and we were working with the Veterans Administration, and I had to go in and sit with the lead accessibility advocate who was blind, legally blind, who had a German Shepherd right by his side, and he actually used the software to take learning. At that moment, you know, you just break out of your your box and you realize what you're doing has significant potential and it's, you know, you've been blessed with the opportunity to do it. And so if I get those opportunities and those don't always come, right, you have the bureaucracy of the day to day. But when you get those challenges, I I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Well, and and you just sort of touched on an area I wanted to go to, because I I think for anybody who's who's an entrepreneur, anybody who's created anything, you know, you have those moments like you're talking about where they're little victories. You know, you you, you feel like you you have felt that success, a, a taste of the impact that you're having. I'm wondering what, you know, A, if you have other victories like that to share that that would be I would love to hear about that but then also the the obvious the, the pain points you know when you when you re- reflect back on this journey are there things that jump out to you that you're like man that that was painful but maybe you, I'm sure you did uh learn from it and, t- and took something forward from it yeah for sure i mean there's another one on our work with crowd wisdom in my most recent prior company which we did co-found, we were working with a specific nursing field, the forensic nurses. And we, we learned that if a nurse becomes certified with the forensic nursing credential, they can save lives. They can, they can prevent a woman or a person being, you know, a child or, you know, someone now and even in the military from being in a situation where if they're in an emergency room and they're treating someone, they know how to ask the right questions. They need to be sensitive to the person, the, the patient, the victim. In this case, this is a criminal action where they have to be sensitive to all the things. They can provide a successful witness case when they're called to the courts. So that kind of thing, when you hear about that and you say, if you can deliver content to those people in a more accessible way, using technology because these people are busy or not able to go to a classroom. That's one of those successes that just drives you. That puts you over when you do have those challenges. In terms of the failures, there's plenty. I mean, there's too many to list. The frustrations of the day-to-day where you don't get to see that kind of success, you know, I, I could probably point out many of them. The highlights are the ones you try to remember the most. Yeah, definitely. I know, you know, personally as, as an entrepreneur, Sometimes what's most painful is that there's just a, a sense of frustrating frustration and sort of having a vision or, or at least you you have the sense of a vision for where you're trying to go, but getting all the pieces to kind of fit together and, and to really complete the, the picture, I mean, that's challenging and it can be frustrating day in and day out to get there. I'm wondering, and this may or may not apply here, but uh, just to kind of go back to your sort of suite of products, and, I, and I've seen that emerge over the years because I, I recall initially Authentic Learning Labs really being focused on analytics. That seemed like the core of it. But, you know, you've grown from there in your own vision to now have an interactive video engine. You've got an LXP uh, learning experience platform. You've got this, you know, set of templates and AP- APIs, high-grade hosting 
and I sort of have the sense of this kind of emerging. Uh, you talked earlier about the challenges in e-learning and, and how to really serve the learning space. And I have a sense of these sort of emerging from that that challenge and, and probably being frustrating at times. But now you've kind of got this pretty interesting suite of products. So can, can you tell us more about, you know, how you arrived at those products, why that mix, you know, what, what you see that mix of products is really solving uh, out there in the world of learning? For sure. What seems to be an elegant tapestry that we've woven is really out of serendipity and also timing. We actually started the video process before we started all the analytics work, but we shelved it because the technology wasn't there for us. It was cost prohibitive for us to do it. So timing wise, we spent a year and a half on video and we realized Man, what we want to do is too expensive and complex. That was extremely expensive. You know, one year of time is forever for us, for you, you know, as an entrepreneur. So we shelved that and moved to analytics. We always knew some of the pain points and we knew some of the things that we could do. You talk about the triumphs and also the control factor and having to be able to fulfill your vision. One of the key things we saw was if we wanted to control our own destiny, we had to stay as nimble and small as possible to build the, the product ourselves. The moment you have external stakeholders and owners, you know, for the right reasons, they want their own growth, they want the pace to change, they have control and voice over what, where you spend the money and focus on. We've always at the heart thought that innovation and R&D will help the growth overall long term. I'm sure someone will hear this recording and want to invest and just be deterred by that. But we thought R&D and innovation are at the heart of what we want to always do. That's the way we want to attract people. It's the way we can keep people and we can keep clients. And so when we, when we go out with these products, we knew what we didn't want to do because we didn't want to go after an articulator, captivate, or in that case, Zoom. They are very strong platforms. We're using Skype right now, very strong platforms. These things we knew we didn't want to do. But the thing is, is that with these tools, any of these tools, you know, we had to make sure that we could build something successful, but also be very specific so we did not go into a crowded pool. So we knew analytics, video, and the LXP spaces were enough of a niche where we could build something, but were not too small where it was just what I guess would be called bleeding edge technology and only one or two customers. So it's a very delicate balance. We're probably not there yet, but those are the reasons why we picked these three platforms. Not a huge vision initially. It was like, let's let's find all the places we can and we see the pain. We knew we're coming from the LMS space. We knew that everybody complains about reports and we saw that visualizations, we didn't invent pie charts or bar charts or anything. We just wanted to put our lens on it for learning, and it's working in that regard. And then same thing with video. I mean, you see things that people are doing great with Vimeo and YouTube and all these other tools, Wistia. We just thought those are all very generic tools. Can you put it in learning space? That's also worked. So um, these are just these are the scenarios that we worked with. I may be a little jaded, a little cynical, but I'm not sure I see as much innovation in the in the traditional learning management system spaces as, as I would like to see. And then that just sort of begs the question. I'd love your perspective on it. You know, how do you view the 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 state and the role of the traditional LMS learning management system at this point? Particularly somebody who who came out of that world, as you as you indicated, you, you've got the roots in it. I'm with you. I feel I'm I'm cautious to sound 
I want to sound optimistic, but I do see that there's a lack of innovation on that front. And I think what's happened in the learning tech space is we use technology to solve a scalability problem to deliver education. But now I think the promise is it's still not fulfilled, but the promise is helping the success of the learning, the um, meeting of the objectives of it, and the retention of the learning where technology can help. We first delivered learning. We basically did what we we saw in this classroom. We just converted online. You know, we even used the phraseology of books online or a page turner. That's what really happened. The LMS was really a, a school online. You came in and did it. But now I think, you know, embedding the learning where it's relevant, when it's happening, when it's needed, to help measure the learning, to predict it, to potentially present learning that's more uh, custom and tailored to the person through curation automatically or through the user-driven curation. Those are things that are promising. I don't see the LMS space doing that as much more as the, the niche players and the platforms and tools that could be out there could fit nicely. I think the LMS will still be there kind of like what you know, a Salesforce CRM is doing. It, it manages the back end, kind of the heavy workflows. And I think, you know, these LMS providers will probably just start acquiring these little niche players. But those things have to be around. You kind of have to have like, just like in a corporation, you have to have an ERP system and a CRM. I think the LMS will still need to be there to store grades, launch courses. But the other stuff can be diversified to these other platforms. And like you said, I don't see a lot of innovation out there. Unfortunately, I think the, the investment money is going towards you know, the digital diploma movement of getting out people and getting them into you know, more alternative methods of delivering formal education. You know, the edX's and the Coursera's are getting the money. And that's great. And that's, you know, that's probably because the potential there. But there is a lot of cool stuff that people can do with the smaller tools that could make a big difference and impact in the learning. That probably a long-winded answer to your question, but no, no, and you know to to kind of stick with um this sort of underlying current of of innovation, which I think is you know running through th- this conversation in different ways. In so many instances, innovation has happened. There are some some very cool tools out there that can now be used in different ways, but they're not necessarily being used as they should be. And then, of course, in other areas, not a lot of innovation has happened. And I mean, it it seems almost like a a mindset problem in many ways. I mean, when you look out at the at the world of adult lifelong learning that we're both in, where where do you see gaps in how we think about and and support learning for adults? Because it se- it seems to me that that probably underlies a lot of how we're going to think about uh, innovation or not. Where are the big gaps in our and just how we think about this and and how we value adult lifelong learning at this point? It's a heavy question. That's a big point. I I think that we're not really looking at maybe a a perspective of our audience members. We're trying to race to see what technology jargon we can adapt to, but really not going, and your, your organization does this really well, is what is the core business strategy and what is our value proposition to this audience we're trying to serve? What's their core need? I mean, they, it is education. It's not, you're not giving away free iPads or, you know, whatever, Teslas. So these people are coming with a, a specific need. They're not going to always come to you recreationally. They're coming there for a professional development or a skill that they need to be relevant in their marketplace. And are we thinking of the problems that they face? And are we presenting the learning in a way that meets their needs? Or are we just trying to say that we have an LRS, we have XAPI, 
I think in learning, we tend to do that where we're just trying to accessorize to say that I've got this next thing. I've got this thing. I've got a holding. Uh, I've got something fancy. But do we, do we actually worry about the key strategic components of our objectives? I don't see that very much. I know it, it sounds like snobbery, but I don't see very pronounced, dedicated focus on the strategic elements of a learning program. And administrators of the LMS become the stronger voice in things, and it, it plays down the entire strategy and the uh, operations. We need to have more people that speak to you, to Dagoris and, you know, analysts and thinkers that align, you know, the bigger picture, not just, okay, well, is it articulate or captivate? And it, those are great tools. It's elevating the discussion and bringing it up to what we're really trying to do, which is with this audience, not just about tech. You know, and I'm a learning tech guy. I mean, that's my professional background, but I think we're, we're sorely missing the target if we're just talking about tech. It's true. We've consistently found over the years, and it, and it hasn't changed that much when we do go out and survey organizations about the role that strategy plays in their learning businesses. The most of them don't have any sort of documented strategy for their learning business. And, and not, not that documentation is everything, but that's a signal. It's a symptom that maybe strategy isn't being taken quite as seriously as it could be or should be. And in many cases, we find even when there is a, quote, strategy, if you scratch the surface, it, it really hasn't gone to the depth that it needs to, to as you're saying, to, to really understand the situation of the audience that you're serving, the needs of the individuals in that audience, and, and to really to, to align your mission, to align your business, and then to align your technology to really uh, helping them with that situation, to create positive change in that situation. I mean, are there companies or organizations that you would point to who you feel are exemplary and and how they're leading learning for their audiences, how they're leveraging technology to do that? And these might be clients of yours, or they just might they might just be other you know companies or organizations that you know of that you feel are maybe not completely getting it right, but but are getting it right in most ways. You know, for the fear of excluding anyone, I'll just mention the symptoms that I see are successful symptoms. And you, you brought up a point I totally agree with is like the ones that are working, they have a significant alignment, a clear alignment between the top and the bottom of in terms of from the executive level to the LMS admin, there's no uh, disparity or gap between why everybody's doing something. And the places where I see the problem is you know, they have this big vision, but there's nobody to implement it. Or there's, you know, an implementer, but there's no vision. And I think the symptoms are where, where it's successful. And I shouldn't say symptoms, but the factors of success are when, even if it's a small initiative, it's not always that they have this thriving ecosystem of everything working. The ones that are having this success that I've seen, they continue to try. They have an entrepreneurial makeup from the leader to the person that's running the platform, you know, turning on courses. There's an entrepreneurial mindset. They're not playing down the technology. They make anything work. You know, they might have a legacy LMS. They may have a new LMS. Whatever it is, they have some goods and bads about it, but they take it in. It's all part of their plan. And they continue to roll with the punches. And I think that's where I've seen success is where there's an organizational alignment. They move with quick and frequent success. And many times, and, I, and I'm a vendor as well, right? I, I have to identify as it, but the the vendors become less important in that space, in that kind of scenario, than in a general scenario where they think the LMS is a panacea or the solution to all their problems. 
Now, I do think the technology, the right partner, and obviously I have to do my job, right, is to present why we would do differently. But in general, the plan and the approach will work all those things out. And if the, if the vendor is not working out, the, the culture and that process will iron that out find a new vendor and integrate it well within their ecosystem and the culture. That culture is key in the learning. And I see very few good, successful cultures. They don't have to have a 20-year track record, but they have a good leadership, very clear direction. And that direction may be 90% of failures, but then when they get the, the success, it's very nice. That's where I see that. And I purposely didn't use clients, but there are a handful of clients that I could say that would meet those criteria. And they, they seem to be the ones that they don't change providers that much. They stay with what they have they make it work and they're not constantly, you know, I, I think you probably talk to more people about complaining about their platforms, whether it's whatever platform and not finding a way to just make it work and, you know, building around it. That, that, that's true. That probably does skew my pers- perspective <laughs> a, little, a little bit. <laughs> you hear, it's, it's also the polarity of response, right? People are either very happy or very unhappy, but you know. Yeah, so. definitely. Now, and you make a good point. I mean, I, I've come Probably this is just part of me getting older and hopefully a little bit wiser, but I've uh, just come to appreciate more and more the role of culture in, in any organization, in any company, I mean, for that matter, in any society, you know, just how it really sets the tone and, and, and really how it provides the momentum or not to achieve those strategic goals that we were just uh, talking about earlier and to set them in, in the first place. To switch gears a little bit, I've been I've been wanting to have this this discussion with you because it's something I, I think a, a lot about these days and it's a place where I know, you know, you've, you've had involvement and, and, I, and I know you're monitoring as well. And that's that there's a lot of buzz right now around learn tech. There's a lot of money flowing into learn tech. You and I were both back there in, in the, the dot-com get days to a certain extent. And at times it feels a little bit like that. I mean, I think it's different. I think it's much more legitimate now, but you know, I feel like every other day I'm opening my email box and there's some company has bought another company, a lot, a lot of, you know, merger and acquisition type activity going on. And of course that means a lot of disruption for learn tech customers. So I just like to get your, you know, your general perspective on, you know, what's going on out there right now that what seems to be consolidation and a lot of money flowing in. There's always pain that, that comes with that, with the growth, with the consolidation. So, you know, do you see this as positive? Is the industry now evolving towards more maturity, more stability with, with more players or, or is something else going on? Like you said, we've been monitoring this for a while. Yeah, it does feel like another one, right? And I would say, to your point, Jeff, I do feel for an organization that makes investments and, and faces the upheaval of another vendor coming in or, you know, an organization being acquired. From the nonprofit side where we both have experience and we've seen it, I would say the nonprofit should gather together and leverage their strength in groups and collect those voices and find some way to either create some type of assembly that would help them purchase in, in bulk or to design in bulk, but collect the resources. One thing nonprofits do, I mean, I think we kind of come in with a, mis, a, a misunderstanding of nonprofits. They do have resources. They just have to be very mindful of how they expend them. But an R&D-focused nonprofit these days is much more safe and possible than a corporate entity that's R&D-focused. So I always wonder why why don't the you know let's say like healthcare or the building trades instead of flouting their next live event flaunting their next live event collect the resources together to create some type of aggregate model of investment into technology 
put in the R&D together, they could do a lot of different innovation that they wouldn't be able to do and secure themselves from the potential upheaval and the, the just natural corporate change that happens in the learned tech space. On the corporate side, I think the best thing to do is make sure these groups that are investing, either side, I think, is to make sure that they build their contracts with, you know, probably have good lawyer advice, but to build contracts with an understanding that these organizations are going to be acquired and to put something out for them to either allow them out or, and I, sh- I know I'm offering this to my, or to build in some way of facilitating a migration or something to keep business running smoothly. But I think using almost like, yeah, I always like to see like, you know, the Green Bay Packers just because, you know, it's kind of a anomaly and, you know, a very different sport ownership model, but it's a successful one. They're owned by their fans. Why can't learning be the same way as, you know, professional education, specifically certifications and certificate programs? They have very specific needs. They can come together and pool their resources together and do something. You know, you, you have to adjust and you have to sacrifice, but I think that's well worth it. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that perspective and approach before, sort of a collective bargaining in a way. In the, uh... Yeah, it's probably a terrible idea, but just one, <laughs> one thought. You know, one smarter guys like you will think of something better. But, you know, this is the thing is that, you know, we can't protect people ultimately from the change that comes with, you know, money coming in and the industries. But I think you can then use the numbers and similar voices or common needs to collect and, and do something like a cooperative or something like that. You know, REI is another model of people coming together with a similar interest and, in, you know, building a model for business value sharing. Right, right. I'd love to know what advice you have for a learning business that's, you know, looking to effectively use learning technology and it's, you know, trying to decide what to focus on and, and how best to invest in, in the near term. What pearls of wisdom would you uh, offer offer to those organizations? <laughs> that's very funny. You should quote that the, the quotes and pearls because they're not really, but I, I would say Whenever I work with groups, we try to have them focus on what's their intellectual property and what's their value add is the content itself, usually, and really make the investment in the content and the process around the content, the tools to help them build that content, and then leverage the technology they either have or, you know, spend, make wise investments to improve that experience. But, uh, you know, throwing a chunk of your investment, the majority on a certain aspect, and it overshadows your key value. Uh, it's not what we would recommend. So we typically would say is if, if you're a learning business, then focus on what is your key product, which is typically the content, the certificate program or your teacher, your instructors or your, you know, whatever you're teaching. Well, to, to wrap up, I, I'd love to ask you, I've always thought you were a, I think you are a very you know, thoughtful fellow, somebody who's obviously paying attention to the world and taking the time to learn and grow yourself. Obviously, learn tech very dynamic area, changes fast, but pretty much everything does these days. So I'd love if you could just share with uh, listeners, what are some of your personal approaches to keeping up, to, to continually learning? And, and I mean that, you know, from the perspective, certainly of work, but, but just life in general. Well, first, thank you, because I, I say that about you, but it's flattering to hear from someone else who I hold in high regard. But the, the thing for me is, I think we have to take stock in every moment. People come into your lives, the experiences you have, take stock in every moment. Learn to take a step back and just realize, you know, am I 
later years I've recognized to do that. And I, I don't think, you know, you just get lost in the day when you don't do that. And that has helped me learn and to learn my significant many weaknesses. And when you, when you recognize that you're, you're constantly flawed, I think the first thing you, the reaction is when you recognize that you want to improve it. I think that's, at least that's the way I see it. And you may choose not to. I mean, the hardest thing is to decide to get up and do it. But whether it's physical or mental or, you know, spiritual, to recognize that you have these flaws and that you're constantly flawed as a human being, to recognize others are, it puts you in a right position in the universe. And it constantly makes you feel like, okay, there's no reason for an ego. You haven't done anything. Continue to push yourself. Yeah, I mean, you, you should enjoy the success you have. But consistently push you because there's someone out there that's doing something better than you, maybe having a harder situation and challenges. But th- that helps me. That helps me. The other thing is probably going to Reddit and some of these. When you listen to kids and hear what their sites are that they go to for social interaction, I try to go there not because – and I feel like the guy, you know, the guy that we used to make fun of that probably dressed like Magnum P.I. and was too late to Corvettes and leather jackets. But now I'm, I feel like that. But I go into Reddit and, you know, some of these other sites to see what these people talk like and interact with in their, you know, their dialogues with their peers. And that helps me. It probably makes me sound like the guy that's going into the the party and I'm the old guy. But that helps me keep aware of what's going on and, you know, whether they're, you know, talking about stocks they're pumping up because it's uh, a GameStop or whatever. But it's an interesting way of learning you know, what people talk like and what they're, what they're looking at media-wise and consumption. And that does help me in learning. What you're talking about is largely mindset. Having a certain degree of humility and modesty, realizing that we all need to learn continually and, and being open to those new experiences that, that may feel a bit uncomfortable. I go to Reddit sometimes and I have to say, I, I, f- I feel like I'm a fish out of water there, basically. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you have to look up the words they're using, yeah. the acronyms, and sometimes you're you feel regret to even look up things like that, but yeah, but it's, it's an important, important practice and it's an ongoing practice, obviously. Tamer Ali founded Authentic Learning Labs. You can learn more about his work at AuthenticLabs.io and connect with him on LinkedIn. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 294, you'll find links to the authentic site and Tamer's profile on LinkedIn because we don't want you to confuse him with the Egyptian rock star Tamer Ali, just as I hope you won't confuse me with the professional wrestler Jeff Cobb. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 294, you'll also find full show notes, a transcript, other resources, and options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss future episodes, And to help us get some data on the impact of the podcast, we would love for you to subscribe if you haven't yet. And we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Salise and I personally appreciate knowing there are others on this learning and leading journey, and reviews and ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 294, there are links to find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. 